Yeah, so. I think two things are happening too that are exciting. So because of the suffering, people are more open mm -hmm. to the to the gospel, to God, to spiritual things. And the suffering is also providing the church an opportunity to shine and mm -hmm. it's shining brightly. Yeah. It is not just Calvary Chapel, just all over the country. Believers are stepping up and they are being the hands and feet of Jesus and people are noticing and it's in this time when they're searching for spiritual answers, suddenly they're coming into contact with Christians whom they might never have come into contact before in their normal pre-war life. And God is, God's using it. Hey, welcome to Whitefields Community Church Missions Extra. And this week we have here with Pastor Nick, I have George and Sharon Markey from Kiev, uh, Kiev, Ukraine. And they're joining us as part of, uh, they were here visiting with us this weekend with their family and they were able to share uh, with the church and uh, we just had a great time getting to know them. They're missionaries that we support and, um, and they're very, very much involved in what's happening over in the Ukraine at the moment. Uh, at the moment, they're in Budapest, but they're running a team that's doing a lot of uh, great things in rescue uh, placement and relief efforts that are going into Ukraine. And so during our time here, we're just going to have a conversation. We're going to get to learn uh, who they are and, um, and ways that you can be praying for them and ways that you can be supporting uh, what they are uh, attempting to do. And uh, we, as a church, we're 100% behind them and want to just do whatever we can to support the ministry over there. And uh, they're just doing great gospel work. But um, if you missed uh, any of our uh, sermons over the, the this weekend, whitefieldschurch.com, you can get there and see it. If you've missed any of our Mission to Extra, I've done a couple interviews with Jenya um, and Sasha, uh, over there when I was in, in the Ukraine. I've done some with uh, George's brother, uh, John Markey, and with Nate Medlong, who are in Ternopil and Kharkiv as well. And so a lot of you looking to get some more information and want to learn what's going on over there. We've got some great interviews that are up on our YouTube channel, up on our podcast. If you like podcasting, there's uh, Google and Apple and all any of your favorite uh, podcast platforms. And if you would rate and review, that would be great. Thumbs up. If you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe. Whatever you can just to kind of you know boost us in the algorithm you know when people are asking questions like what's happening in Ukraine you know that we're going to be able to show up there on the top of their list and be able to provide them with you know Christ-centered gospel-centered answers to their questions and uh, give you ways that you can really be involved and really um, you know affect you know in some way what's going on over there so um, so just to kind of start out with our conversation we've kind of talked about you guys over you know over the years as we've talked about missionaries and um but I just want to kind of, if you can give, give us kind of the Cliff Notes version of how you all ended up. I'll start with you, George, and then we can move on to you, Sharon. How you stand, started or ended up there in, in, uh, in the Ukraine. And, uh, you know, because I think it's a pretty exciting story. Yeah. Well, it began with my dad. Um, he's a, he was a pastor in the Midwest with Calvary Chapel, one of the first ones. Um, and it was uh, when the Iron Curtain fell. That was back in... 91, I think, you know, and that's when Ukraine actually got gained its independence. His heart was stirred as he saw uh, different missions going in. 
and uh, watching videos of how people were just snatching up Bibles and, and just the stories of how people were coming to Christ but needing churches that would disciple them and help them grow. And, you know, he looked around He looked around his city in uh, Crawfordsville, Indiana, and, you know, a church in every corner, and he thought, man, I need to be over there. Where, you know, because here people are kind of can be picky, like, oh, I don't want to go to this church. I want to go to that church. And, but there, there's, they didn't have anything, you know, or very, very little. And so he, his heart was stirred to go and help um, plant healthy churches that would help disciple people and, and um, you know, and send them out, you know, to reach more. Let me just jump in there right now because— um you know, there's a book about your dad, yeah, and it was written by your brother-in-law, Jed, yes. mm-hmm. who's a missionary himself and uh, served with you guys in Ukraine. Now he's in Georgia, uh, doing great things. But I'd re- I just recommend this book for everybody um, because it tells the story of how your dad was in Indiana, yeah. how he pastored, how God led him to Ukraine and and ultimately Kyrgyzstan as well. And um, it's available in our bookstore, and I would just really recommend people check it out. Yeah, thanks, Dick. Yeah. Now, you're the oldest of? Yes, of, um, well, now nine children. We adopted a Ukrainian mm-hmm. girl. Um, yeah, and Jed is actually married to my twin sister. So okay. So we're the oldest. Actually, she she uh, claims the, what is the eldership? or the <laughs> <laughs> She's 47 minutes older than I am. 47 <laughs> minutes? Yeah. So oh, wow, okay. She de- de- let me, doesn't let me forget that. <laughs> well, so how old, okay, we're, we're talking 1992. How old are you? You show up in... Kiev, Ukraine. How old are you? 16. You're 16 years old. So just give me just a, you know, describe just a little bit of just showing up in a post-communist country with eight, eight, how many kids at this moment? Yeah, it was eight children. Eight children at this moment. So just kind of walk me through that just a little bit. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Let's go back in time. Uh, Yeah, it was, we didn't know what to expect, you know, but we get there and kind of going back decades, you know, in some sense, you know, just, uh, things were run down, kind of get this f- feeling of the, the Soviet Union was here, <laughs> you know, just, uh, I don't know how to say it. but at that time also, there's a lot of, um, the stores where they would have maybe four or five items and that was it, you know, on their shelves. And so that wasn't necessarily food shortages, but just very limited things, you know, and just the basics. And, um, uh, people were, were very, Warm though, I mean, because we were Americans, and at that time, Americans were kind of these celebrities, or they, or you know, they'd be just surprised you're American. And so, I mean, there was a definitely an openness and, a, and actually a wanting to be more American in some sense. Um, so, and that, yeah, but then you, you know, again, you get this feeling of Soviet Union, you know, and everything's, um, you know, hyperinflation. Um, I, I, I experienced extreme culture shocks. You know, I mean, we came in, we didn't know the language at all, so didn't know, you know, so or the culture and. That's because, like, you're a 16-year-old. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're you're a teenager, you know, and you're just plucked out of Indiana at the moment. And now you're in, like, Indiana's not exactly, like, very city or anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now Kiev is... Yeah, they're on a farm. Yeah, you're right. on a farm, you know. Yeah, so yeah. so you now all of a sudden three million or I don't know, that time it was two and a half million people. Yeah. So <laughs> in the city, uh, Kiev is not a small city. Oh, it, no, no, it is yeah. a massive sprawl of buildings. Jeez, yeah. So, I mean, how did you... How does that... Oof. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was kind of... My dad, we had committed to a year and I was thinking, okay, when's that year going to be up? I'm going to get back home. <laughs> <laughs> so as a teenager too, I'm just kind of awkward. Just, you know, people are talking in language I don't understand, laughing, probably laughing at me. And then, you know, just mi- missing friends, family, pizza, mm-hmm. you know, McDonald's and all that stuff. So. so how long do you think it took you to kind of catch the vision that your father well, yeah. had, you know? 
Um, it was at least probably about three or four months. I, was, I started to really get it. Um, maybe after half a year, I was really beginning to like being there. But before that, I was like just wanting to go back and homesick. But I guess it was what really got me was just seeing the young people's desire to um, read the Bible. You know, kind of their interest in Christianity. You know, I, I, you know, I I was a Christian. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. <laughs> I was a Christian then, but. Uh, I'd say my faith has grown a lot. But at that time, I had never really seen young people excited about the things of God. Uh, many of them were excited about English at first, but still seeing that, uh, many have been choosing to follow Christ, um, many times against the wish of their parents, and then hanging out with these guys. And I, you know, it was just, it was, it was an exciting time, just seeing, seeing the hunger for the things of God. So that got, got, got a hold of my heart, and I thought, yeah, this is something I would like to be part of. And beginning to realize, you know, and as, as, also as I began learning the language and realizing, actually, I like learning languages. So, I, re, I was always walking around with a notebook and trying to get learn as much Russian at, at first, and then Ukrainian. So, yeah, go ahead. yeah. I was going to ask you. So, when you went there at first, did you have? Did your dad have a church that he was mm. going there to lead, that was already in existence, or was it to start from uh, from scratch? Yeah, he had taken a trip with some cavalry pastors to kind of survey things. He went to, they went to Moscow, Kiev, and St. Petersburg. In Kiev, he was actually approached by a church to be the pastor, and it was a church that was exploding. But th- when, we, when we went to Kiev, things changed. Like the people, like half the people were not into having an American pastor. So, and things were just kind of going, going kind of south for that church, unfortunately. They ended up splitting and then just folding. So, um, I remember that at that moment when things were kind of going bad, we just thought, man, what are, you know, we came to do this. What are we going to do now? <laughs> and so um, and we, this, my dad and, and mom made the decision, okay, we're going to start from scratch. We're going to just start a church from zero. And that's what we did. So we had, we had some you know, people we knew through, the, through um, kind of that church and some others. We'd already made some um, acquaintances and uh, connections, and that helped us kind of get things started. But we started for, with non, you know, non-believers. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Well, let's let's talk about you, Sharon. I mean, you, George is in Kiev. You can't be far away enough geographically <laughs> starting your life in Hawaii. So let's begin there. And then how did you guys end up getting together? And now you have six children and, you know, living the exciting <laughs> life of, of a refugee. So, yeah, so let's begin there. Okay, well, I was born in Hawaii. Um, both my parents were born in Hawaii, met and married there. Um, but my dad... Actually, my, my grandfather worked for the U.S. Navy, and so he moved around a bit when my dad was growing up. And for a while, they had lived in Southern California in a city called Corona, and Chuck and Kay Smith had been pastoring there. And um, this was before Calvary Chapel. Um, and my dad had really, really come to value his teaching style. Um, and so after he grew up, got married, when he tried to figure out what he wanted to do with his life, his burning desire was to be in ministry with Chuck Smith. And so he wrote a letter to him and said, hey, is there any place for me there? At this, is, at this point, Chuck had already moved to Costa Mesa and started Pastor Cal- uh, um, Calvary Chapel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and Chuck said, yeah, sure, come on over. And so I was a year and a half old. We moved to California. And for the next 33 years, my dad worked at the church there. He um, for a period of time, the church had a little business jet, and so my dad would um, fly Chuck around the country to various pastors' conferences. And 
every year they would fly out to Indiana to Crawfordsville to the pastor's conference that George's dad had started. It was the Midwest Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference. And so my dad actually met George's dad and they developed a relationship over the years. Um, he, my dad was also the, uh, the TV department, kind of a one-man TV department for the, the church there. Um, so I grew up as a, my dad always called my sister and me church mice. Um, our mom died when we were five and we spent a lot of time at the church. We would wake up in the morning, eat a bowl of Cheerios and orange juice, go to church because we went to the church school. And when we got done with school, we'd go hang out in the church office with all the secretaries till our dad got done with work. Then we'd go to a restaurant, <laughs> grab dinner, come back to the church for the evening service because something happened every night of the week, and then finally get home, go to bed, and get up the next day and do it all over again. So we spent more time at church each day than at home, I think. <laughs> and when I was in junior high school, I listened to a friend of my mom's who was a missionary, and she was talking about her work with her husband among Jews in um, Jerusalem. And my heart was deeply touched and I my mom was actually translating for me because her friend was Japanese and it was in Japanese and she was translating it I should say okay that's confusing my mom died this was my stepmom when I was 11 my dad remarried to a woman from Japan anyhow she was translating for me and I start crying she said what's wrong you know are you do you have a stomach ache or something and I, I said I'll tell you later but what was wrong was actually something right the Holy Spirit was deeply touching my heart with a a conviction that there could be nothing more valuable that I could do with my life than to try to take the good news of Jesus to people who had never heard. And I started praying about becoming a missionary. And by the time I graduated from high school, I was sure that that was what God wanted me to do. And um, so I was preparing for that. Um, my burning desire was to go as a missionary to Muslim peoples, preferably in an unreached, uh, closed country, because that's where the greatest need was. Um, but um, God had other plans. <laughs> um, so I, when George had graduated from his mas from graduate school, he came to the United States for a summer for his sister's wedding. And while he was there, he and his dad came to California for a Calvary Chapel pastor's conference. And my dad was working at the conference as the video guy, and he met George, and he was very impressed by George. And... Um, I'd never dated, and I actually, I'd never, well, no, I, I told my dad when I was 16 that I would like him to arrange my marriage. Um, I wasn't serious in the sense that I expected him to do it, but I really didn't want to date. I saw a lot of problems with the dating system, and I really wanted my dad involved in the process. So he's kind of, all these years, has been watching me, waiting for me to kind of get started, get dating, and I never do, and he's starting to think maybe I was waiting for him to do something. And he met George and realized these two could be a really good team. And so he talked to George's dad about it. He asked him, what's the wife situation with your son? And George's dad said, well, George is looking for a go anywhere and do anything for Jesus type of woman. And my dad's thinking, my daughter wants to go to a closed Muslim country. Um, and he said, well, I have a daughter I'd like him to meet. And so the dads thought, oh, that's a good idea. And George liked the idea. So my dad called me and he told me he'd met someone that he wanted me to meet. And I was shocked because my dad is not impulsive at all. Um, I was also really intrigued. Um, and we met and immediately we felt like old friends. I mean, we talked and talked and talked all day long. And by lunchtime on the first day, he decided that he wanted to marry me. Um, he did not tell me that, which was good because I probably would have thought he was a little bit bonkers to make up his mind so quickly. But um, 
Uh, we had three days together, and then he went back to Ukraine, and we just continued to stay in touch with email. And it took me seven months of praying about it to come to co the conclusion that, yes, God was calling me to marry George. One of the problems for me was I would have to go to Ukraine, and I wanted to go to, like, you know, Morocco or Afghanistan or something. Um, but uh, God finally kind of convinced me, and um, I really liked George. I, I wanted to be with him, but I wanted to make sure that it was what God wanted too. And uh, yeah, that's how I ended up in Ukraine. We got married as soon as I graduated and I moved there immediately. Wow. Well, you guys are certainly are, from my experience of viewing you, you're a great team together, especially as a family. Your kids are amazingly adaptive to whatever situation they need to be in. <laughs> they don't, you know, they always go and explore and see the new things and wherever they, you know, so they've definitely, you know, the the go, it's the go anywhere kind of attitude <laughs> of both of you has definitely filtered down into to all your kids. And so, so let's just kind of bring to the present now, you know, I talked about the fact that you are now refugees from Kiev. Your home is in Kiev and you're, right now you're living in Budapest because you because you can't be in Kiev, and because at the moment of this, you know, uh, interview, they are still lobbing missiles <laughs> into the West. Yeah. You know, we just got reports of into Chernobyl, where your brother is. They're into Lviv. They're still lobbing things in there, and you know, just kind of hey, letting people know that we're still here, and you know, and so kind of just give us the the brief, you know, of of how you had to escape from Kiev and how mm -hmm. you know you ended up in Budapest, and then it will kind of move, you know, from there just to. What is the Lord doing now, um, you know? Because as you've said, you know, as we've discussed, you know, for you next week, you know, you're, you're, you can't really plan for the future, which is the, the case of not only our missionaries, but also most Ukrainians. They, they don't know what next week looks like or a month from now. They're living from day to day yeah. and, you know, at the behest of somebody they might be staying with or somebody supporting them. And, and so it's a very, very, you know, um, precarious situation. And so, so just kind of walk us through a little bit just of what happened in Kiev and how you had to leave, you know, around February 24th when the war began. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Um, when the war began, our six kids and I were actually already in Western Ukraine. We'd gone there in stages. First we sent our three oldest kids and I and the three youngest kids went. Just as a precaution, we didn't think that we were going to need <clears throat> to evacuate. We thought we would just go back home after things, you know, blew over. But that wasn't the case. So the day the war started, um, we heard George was in Kiev still and people all over the city were awakened by explosions because of missile attacks on this strategic airfield outside of Kiev. Um, and George uh, immediately tried to start to evacuate to get to us, because that had been our plan. If, if Russia invades, he will come join us, and we'll figure out what we're doing as a family. But he couldn't get out of the city because everybody was trying to get out of the city, and the traffic was... It, it, it was just a parking lot, the, the road west out of the city. So he gave up, went back home, and his he wasn't in our, we didn't have a car. He was hitching a ride with a friend. So the idea was they would try again first thing the next morning. Meanwhile, the kids and I in western Ukraine, where we thought we would be so safe, we were in a basement because air raid sirens had been going off in the city that morning. There weren't any rocket strikes, but, you know, when you hear air raid sirens, you take shelter. Um, that night, we spent the night in the basement because the air raid sirens started going off after they'd gone to bed. And um, I was up all night worrying about George, wondering if he was going to get out safely. 
um, wondering if we would see him again. Um, but God was gracious, and in the morning he was able to get out of the city on his second try. He had to leave our dog behind, um, and that was really wrenching for for me and for my second son, who's really has a soft place in his heart for all animals, and especially our dog. But God was gracious again, and we were reunited with our dog three weeks later. It was an interesting story. <laughs> the dog had quite a lot of adventures, um, but we got him back. And um, George um, was on his way across Ukraine. It was a very, a much longer trip than usual because of all these checkpoints that had been set up. And that second day of the war, as he was getting out, uh, George's brother and his family of eight decided they would also leave. They have a nine-seat van, and I asked, will you please take us with you? So they graciously allowed the seven of us to cram into with them in their nine-seat van, so 15 people in a nine-seat van. And we headed across the mountains to Hungary. And George was able to join us there um, 24 hours later. And we, counting the first move from Kiev to western Ukraine and all the successive moves as we were just going from place to place in Hungary, we moved seven times in three weeks. Um, but then we ended up at an apartment in Budapest, where we are now, got our dog back the same day we moved into the apartment. And we feel more or less stable. We've, you know, set up a temporary home for ourselves there. Um, and George, very immediately, before we even had a settled place to live, got involved in a lot of projects to help Ukraine that you can mm -hmm. probably talk about it in better yeah, let's Yeah, let's talk about that because Nick and I arrived, you know, our, our story, we've, we've talked a little bit about it, but when we, you know, we were supposed to be at a, a conference in Irpin, which is just north of, of in this basically a suburb of, of Kiev, which is, ended up being one of the hardest hit places. And Nick and I were supposed to, to be at a conference then, and so we had ended up canceling our tickets. But then that weekend after the war started, you know, just the Lord placed on our hearts that we just needed to be there and be present, you know. And so so we flew over, and we met you guys in, in Hungary, in Vita, and the, probably the minute we arrived, <laughs> things were starting to move already. You guys didn't waste any time, as you said. You know, the, pretty much as soon as you arrived in Hungary, your attention turned back to Ukraine because there was a, a humanitarian crisis that was starting to balloon. And yeah. it was, you know, at, at one point there's four or five million that were externally dis displaced, right? And yeah. it's like like 25 million now total displaced with internally and external. Mm -hmm. And so that was, you know, for, for me, I, I arrived one day, next day I'm actually driving to Ukraine and you know Nick is 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 having to you know help with the Vita situation and uh, placement and getting involved in that that situation. So we really hit the ground running. You guys were also you know getting all your contacts together and all these people, which was such an amazing thing. We've talked about that in earlier videos, just how God brought has brought for such a time as this through. 30 years of ministry and being there, not only in Hungary, Germany, Italy, Spain, all of our contacts across Europe came together for that. But mm -hmm. so let's talk about just a little bit about the, you know, what was, you know, your mindset, you know, you're now, your families are refugees, you know, where do we go from here? So kind of walk us through how, how you got involved and, in, you know, leveraging <laughs> all the, the people you've known for the last 30 years into the you know relief and rescue and placement that took place. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like it was ages ages ago when that happened, yeah, right? Yeah, so know. much <laughs> has been crammed in these last three months. It's almost almost hard to remember. What was I feeling? What was what was I doing? 
um, yeah, but I remember immediately, like, we were pretty much from morning to night, we were on our telephones or whatever because we were just trying to court. I mean, it was kind of somewhat chaotic, right? Because you have this person writing, hey, we're, we need help here, you know, and, you know, connecting people and helping people get out. And because this is happening. Like five different chat platforms. Five different chat, yeah, <laughs> just five. Yeah, and so you're like, you get up and you have like, you know, maybe a few hundred unread messages and you're just like, oh gosh, you start yeah. working through that. And you get up after having only slept for three or four yeah. hours mm-hmm. because you're up late answering people's questions and yeah. connecting people and getting up early to, because it never stops. Right. And I mean, on the one hand, it was, it's because we were fortunate to have all these contacts. And one, one interestingly enough, um, I had been part of a program that uh, was starting up to train police chaplains. There was army chaplains that were that came into being in 2014 when it, things, you know, the, uh, Russia first started taking away territory. Uh, but now they just, uh, I think it was maybe two years old, they had established this program to get into the police force and help them, you know, be putting these chaplains in a great, great initiative, great project. So I just kind of um, jumped on board with that because I, I was thinking I want to be able to be part of um, and that in my community. Well, that turned out to be very providential because we had we were supposed to graduate in March. We just finished, um, and of course we didn't do that. But we already had this chat with these different students, with um, different chaplains, and so right away, you know, we we knew what was going on for one thing. Secondly, these yeah, students yeah, all over Ukraine, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and many of them in the hot spots, and we're doing you know frontline stuff. So once we kind of got our Ground, uh, bearings in in Hungary and realizing you know there's this overwhelming desire to help. Well, we knew where the needs were, so I began just writing and saying, "Hey guys, let me know if you guys need help. We want to know who's on the ground, what we can do." Right away, I got you know some messages and um, established some uh, long-term relationships. You know, and this is besides the Calvary Chapels, besides the other churches that we had, we were also involved with that as well. Um, but um, yeah, we just this network came together, you know, of just, and, and again, and then this, the Calvary Chapels wanted to help. And we, uh, Pastor Caleb, he and I began to do videos and which was, uh, you know, turned out to be really good because it was getting out the news, what's going on day to day. We were doing daily videos. Uh, Mike was involved in that as well. And so people were just saying, Hey, you know, we, we need to get a vehicle. I said, okay, we got money here. Here, get that vehicle for those, these guys on the front lines, you know, just those, those kind of things. Um, and, uh, yeah, just were, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, you were. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was there, and I was witnessing yeah, Mike was it, there. and 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 you know, in a sense, we were making it up as we went, but you could really sense the Lord's hand yeah. and just the cooperation across so many different. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was getting calls from just people got my name and from this mission organization and this church, some little church on was on the eastern border of Hungary, and they want to make a run into Ivanko Frank. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's like, well, what do we need to know? I'm like, okay, well, I had to gain experience from our run into the Ukraine and stuff. So God, you know, God had used us to get information, which ended up helping, you know, some of these paramilitary organizations. And, you know, and in some ways it was like surreal, as you say, having those conversations. And I, you know, I remember Tanya I was working with you and I remember she answered one of those is like four in the morning. And I know she only went home at 12, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it's like, and it was so, yeah, you just kind of, grabbed a family and you worked it through to its end, you know, well, there's a rally point. How do I get these people who are, you know, handicapped? They are in a, you know, 10-story apartment in Kiev and they can't, you know, and, 
you know, and Jed, your brother-in-law, he was involved in that, leveraging his things, and then, of course, talking with the chaplains and then building the supply lines and trying to get warehouses yeah. and cars, and and it was all happening. So, And it was like we were... It was changing from hour to hour, you yeah. know, as to what you were doing. It was so fast-paced at the at the beginning. And it was like, wow, this is... And then just seeing people jump in from Germany, from, from Denmark. Hey, we've got a bus coming, and we're going through. Just put in as many people on that as possible. You know, all those orphans that were in the east and got yeah. them all the way to Lviv and... You know, people just working their angles and, and and just so many different stories like that was so, mm-hmm. so amazing that the Lord brought all of that together was yeah. just, you know, it, it was mind boggling. But it's 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 so good to see that God knew what was going to happen mm-hmm. and he, he, you know, put it all together. So let's, you know, let's just kind of talk about um Going forward, you know, the future where you see yourselves. I, I want to start with you, Sharon. You're a mother. You have six kids. You represent vast majority of mothers right now who are refugees. They don't know what's coming next week, next month. You know, you know, what, what do you, what do you, how are you thinking about the future and, and, you know, with George doing all that he's doing and you're partnering with him with the kids and, with all the ladies that you're coming to contact, you know, what what do you think going forward is some of the steps that you're taking? Well, I can't plan long term, you know. So the one thing pressing on my mind is the kids' schooling for next year because that is something that has to happen, and that's sort of more of a long-term decision because school is nine months at a time. Um, and that's a decision, you know, that all mothers who are out of Ukraine right now are having to try mm-hmm. and navigate with their kids. There's various options, and I won't bore you with the details, but you know that that is something that's heavy on my mind a lot that we'll have to figure out in the next month or two. But one thing that I am trying to do is to create rhythms and rituals with the kids that will help them feel a sense of home and stability no matter where we are. Um, one of those things that we did very regularly when we were in Ukraine was George and I would try every week to take one of the kids out in turn on a date individually. So each week there would be a date with daddy and a date with mommy and they would like, you know, we'd cycle through them. And after we got out of Ukraine, that just kind of, we almost forgot about Mm it. And we've tried to bring that back. Um, Of course, right now we're in the States and we haven't been doing it here, but, um, and family meal times and, you know, a book that I was reading to them. Um, it's a, a novel by George MacDonald. And actually, we got it back. George went back into Ukraine a few times since the war started. And he actually went to our apartment a few times and was able to bring out a few, you know, important things. So I, we have the book that we're reading through. So just things like that to give them a sense of home, no matter where we are. And they're doing remarkably well. I'm, I'm really, really grateful that I'm I'm sure that they're struggling with things inside because, I mean, how can they not? But for the most part, I mean, you've seen them. They just... Yeah, they, they just they just adapt. Yeah. Um, I'm quite surprised. Just like they just find their place. They're very friendly. They're very... Yeah. They, they, uh, when you guys were talking yesterday, the Peter was in a conversation about tanks with one of the other guys, the other kids that he's just met, you know, and they're just like talking about this kind of like, okay, 
All right, I'll just leave you guys be. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, so yeah, they just very adaptive, and so but, but like so George, you know, we went hiking with Nick yesterday, and we took Samuel and and uh, Kiyoshi with us, and we took kind of on that hike talked about some of the strategy, things moving forward, you know, because this is an ever changing landscape right now you know as the the war evolves the war hasn't stopped there's still 100 200 ukrainian soldiers dying every day you know so there's still a great need there but the the refugee situation is becoming now long term so the, the, those things you know before it was like anybody would take oh sure you can come stay at my house and now now we're 100 you know 150 days 200 days 300 you know what is that situation going to look like how, you know, and then now you've got, you know, you said you've identified like 60 families, Ukrainian families that are living in various towns there in Hungary. How do we go and minister to them? You know, so kind of just walk us through some of these kind of future things that people can be praying for for the next steps for us, you know, for you as, 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 as missionaries and the groups that you're working with us as a church, how we can partner with, how we can pray for you going forward. Yeah, there's a lot. Um as you're sharing, I guess what comes to mind is uh, even the workers that are serving. I mean, they're a lot of them are reaching breaking point in some sense, you yeah. know, and needing that, needing um, encouragement, refreshment. Our team. I mean, I'm um, always trying to balance that too. I want to take care of them, you know, and their needs, and talk about what they're going through. Because I mean, there's the needs outside are, are immense, you know, and so they're doing a lot of stuff. You want to talk about those things, but then, you know, one of the one of the gals on our team, I mean, her husband is right now, as we speak, I think he's, I was following the texts because he's kind of been going back and forth. Like he went, went to the front lines, they took him back. And now it looked like he was going to be able to, not to go because he has invalid, you know, his parents, he's taking care of his parents. And but now it looks like he's going back. Just mm-hmm. now found out, you know, so dealing with that, helping her, um, another gal just, she's in Budapest helping us, but then she hasn't had any friends, you know, and just, Missing home in one one hand, but knowing she needs to stay, I, you know, just complicated issues. So if you could be praying for the workers themselves and in Ukraine, just the pastors and their families. I mean, there's they've been going since February 24th nonstop, pretty much, and they're trying to. I think they've tried to establish more rhythms, you know, so they could be with their families and kids. But um, and then of course these women outside, you know, they're separated from their husbands for all these days, you know, for these three months. So we're praying for that, you know, just how they, just helping them navigate that. And then long-term, and it, so they're having to make these decisions. You know, we're, we're together, so, you know, it's difficult, but we have each other. But they're having to make the decisions, like, where are we going to live? Which country? Mm-hmm. Uh, where are kids going to go to school? How do I help my kids kind of get just? What am I going to do for work? Um, so you keep, yeah, that's another prayer point. Um um, so those are the challenges, but then there's also amazing opportunities that you want to take advantage of where, you know, there's an openness because there's a great need. And so as, as we provide community for these people, you know, then they're, we're able to share God's love in practical ways. Um, yeah, the other day we were talking about, um, you know, again, like people have been so busy, but it's been, you know, we want to get the organizations and churches together just to talk in Hungary. What, what's everybody doing? What are they up to? How can we help each other better? We want to go back into Ukraine and make a trip to talk about um, um, helping revitalize businesses, which will help the economy because the economy is, is just taking a huge, huge hit. It's going to take years, if not decades, mm-hmm. to kind of get back. Um, 
So I want to talk about that, about church planning and about, so you can be praying about that too. How can we, what is it, what should, what should um, church ministry look like? I think people have realized that it needs to be more than just a Sunday service. It needs to be um, you know, taking care of the whole person. Um, and so there's a lot of physical help and then coupling that with preaching the gospel, helping establish, you know, doing discipleship. So we want to do it. When, when I go back, we want to also, you know, get together with some other people too and talk about what's, what's the strategy behind that? What, what can we do to make, um, I don't know, there's a lot, but you could be praying. So I guess the ministers, you know, and for, God would take care of their needs. They would be refreshed. And then uh, wisdom and how much to do, taking care of the, taking advantage of the opportunities within country. How can we help start rebuilding? How can we um, do church ministry better, church planning to, um, because there's unprecedented opportunities, again, to bring people into the kingdom, to have a kingdom impact. We have all these connections now with the government because of what we've been doing. We have, you know, we have a lot of favor there because we've done a lot. And so how to, how to work with that? Um, I don't know. Kind of guess it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And George, one of the things that I think is really encouraging that I would want all of our viewers and listeners to know about is that you had told me that even in the midst of the war, it's not like the mission of God has uh, been put on pause. Yeah. But just the opposite, right? I mean, things have changed radically. But on the other hand, uh, you're telling me about new churches being planted, families yeah. uh, who had lived in certain places now being moved to other places yeah. and saying, hey, we're going to buy an apartment here and we're going to start a church in this yeah. city. And um, and thankfully, you know, we got to be a small part of, of helping with that. And we're excited mm -hmm. about that. I know about church plants in Kiev going on. And I, I would just want people to know that that's, that's um, you know, we talk about the opportunities, yet there are humanitarian needs, there are humanitarian opportunities, there are also opportunities for church planting, and the mission of God continues to move forward, yeah. even as rockets are being fired. Yeah, people amazed just, yeah, the bravery and, and um, in some sense this crisis has brought out who's who, you know, and we've seen some, well, in our Calvary movement, one guy, you can be praying for Zhenya, <laughs> he's, he's, God's raising him up, and he's just stepped up and I've just been really impressed. He's taken other leaders under his wing. And so you want to get behind those kind of people who are doing that. Um, um, you know, I know, I know Ben too, and those, they're doing some amazing work. So, um, and from our church plant, now there's three, you know, we're, mm -hmm. we're, we want to, and we, we've kind of just starting, uh, you know, starting a community where we are. I mean, there's coverage there, but we want to, where we are, we want to be a, also just being reaching out to those people we, we live next to. Um, and then like you were saying, so Kiev, we have a couple back where we're in our apartment doing this um, kind of youth thing and they're reaching this, reaching their community, doing discipleship and, um, and this couple build, but buying an apartment. So what, from, our, from our church plant, now there's three. And that's, that, that's exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, you know, we, we could probably talk all afternoon yeah. about this. But I just want to ask you two things before we bring this to the close. The second one would just be about your website and all of that. But I just, this question came to my mind was, if you could compare going to Kiev in 1992, the openness of the gospel, mm. and now, what do you think wow. is, yeah. how do you think, do you think there's a difference? Do you think, you know, uh, how do you think people are, are reacting to to the gospel in the midst of this uh, you know, immense, you know, persecution, basically, that's happening, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's sometimes it's been a catalyst. Like, we even within our, just in our church plant, uh, at least one, if not 
two or three. I mean, the, the people that have they've now become Christians because of this. Um, and I know and there's many other stories that I've heard similar things. And then there's been people that we've been building relationships with. Now it's gone to the next level. They're not believers yet, but they're praying every day. They're reading, they're reading the Bible because of the desperate need. And so um, I would say, yeah, there's the level of openness is very similar. I mean, it's a different situation. Yeah. I think just the, like, um, as we just continue to, to serve in practical ways, there's going to be continuing these gospel conversations with them. I don't know. What would you say? Similar thing. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's pretty amazing. Cause I, even just in the time that I spent, you know, in the command tent that we had with the, yeah. some of those paramilitary guys, just the witness of the church yeah. to these guys who were, you know, cursing every second word, you know, and we were just like hanging out there, all these pastors who were like way out of their depth, but you know, the Lord is, was using you and all your contacts and bringing all these things together. And it was such a witness, I think for that, you know, I just wonder, you know, those seeds that were planted for future with all the, the connections, the, the interactions that you've had and many of the other the missionaries like David and, and Paul and these over, over these past few weeks and months with all these other organized, secular organizations in this and how the, the Lord's going to use that going forward. Yeah, so. I think two things are happening too that are exciting. So because of the suffering, people are more open mm-hmm. to, the, to the gospel, to God, to spiritual things. And the suffering is also providing the church an opportunity to shine and mm. it's shining brightly. Yeah. It is not just Calvary Chapel, just all over the country. Believers are stepping up and they are being the hands and feet of Jesus and people are noticing. And it's in this time when they're searching for spiritual answers, suddenly they're coming into contact with Christians whom they might never have come into contact before in their normal pre-war mm. life. And God is God's using it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like one quick example is um, somebody who was telling tell us about that, but there's a, like a famous atheist blogger that now is like saying, you know, I, going through all this, I cannot deny there's a God, you know? So this guy just kind of... He said, I would be the, fool- oh, the yeah. most foolish person alive to deny that there's a God. And uh, so from trying to propagate atheism, he's now preaching theism, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now I'm sure there's going to be so many of these different stories, you know, over the months and years to come. So uh, here's one. Here's Isaac. He's like <laughs> water. <laughs> so let's, as we close, let's just talk about, um, you know, just, uh, how can people get connected oh, with yeah. what's happening going forward? Yeah. So we've just in the last week established a, a website. Um, it's called, um, well, we, it, Kind of finally came up with a name for ourselves, um, Bridge UA, because we, we do. It's just this bridge metaphor comes all the time because we've connections in Ukraine, connections outside of Ukraine, you know, in Hungary. Our just, our goal is to help connect, you know, locals and and Ukrainians so that you know, and just people who are doing different things. We like to kind of bring them together and just not not that we would do all, everything, but hey, there's some people doing amazing things and then there's these huge needs. So let's connect those things, right? So <clears throat> we, see, we see ourselves as a bridge often. So it's Bridge UA, you know. And so the website, if you want to go and look what we're doing, you can go to um, partner.bridgeua.org. And we'll and, put all this in the description yeah. so people will know how to get to it. 
and so you know we're still kind of in the process of adding things to the website, but it's already up and running. You can look and see some um, pro projects we're involved in. Um, you and it it has how to give. You know we're, we've been going you know through Calvary SD, Calvary Chapel, uh, San Diego. So you can go to CalvarySD.com and um, donate through the Ukraine fund, and it goes to us and others that are working. So um, it goes directly to the people that are doing the work. So. Uh, that's how you can connect with us. You can write to us if you have questions, um, and we'll be updating that all the time to give you um, up-to-date information, what we're doing, and through our partners, too, as well. So thank you once again. You guys have been amazing. Have you guys just been – and we've, we're just so just so encouraging to see them when we got to you hungry, <laughs> see Mike and, and Nick, see familiar faces. And uh, we've been encouraged and just blessed by your prayers and by your giving. Well, we love you guys, and we are just we're we're privileged to be a part of all that you're doing, and yeah. as a church, we are as well. And um, we just look forward to all the you know avenues the Lord's going to open up for the gospel through this time. And we just want to pray for God to strengthen you, you know, and for you, Sharon, as well as a mother with all your the kids and the going forward to the schooling and all that stuff, and, and to you together as a team, and then your team there in Budapest as well. And uh, we just we're excited, but you know we also want to just pray that the God brings an end to this war, so that yeah. the rebuilding Amen. process <laughs> can 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 start. So so we just encourage you as our, our viewers and listeners, if you've been all the way to the end of this uh, podcast, and uh, it was well worth listening to, and uh, you know just continue to pray for 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 George and for Sharon and for their kids and for his team over there. Just uh, you know this is just beginning. This is just beginning, the, the beginning of rebuilding, but I think just the beginning of gospel ministry in Europe. And people have just talked about post-Christian, post-post-Christian, post-post-post-Christian, whatever it might be, you know, it's dark and secular. But, you know, God's doing something now. You have all these evangelical uh, people that are flooding into Europe, and, you know, God is doing amazing things, and we're, we're happy to partner, and we're blessed to partner with them, and you can do that too. So make sure you connect with their website. Make sure you give the Lord, uh, so puts it on your heart to do that. Uh, the financial situation is still as much needed now as it was a month ago. And they definitely need need your prayers and financial support. And, uh, and uh, we, you know, if you want to connect with us and connect with them, their website information will be in the description. Um, and uh, look forward to seeing you all again. And you'll getting some more interviews out for you on the situation. So we look forward to seeing you. God bless. You.